Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Well, glad most of you are here. Uh, it was a joke. Didn't work. Uh, listen, open your Bibles, if you would, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And while you're turning in your Bibles there, I want to take a, a second just to thank Scott for bringing the word uh, last week. He did a really good job. Uh, yes. Yes, our church was blessed, was blessed by your work, brother. So I want to say thank you. And so according to the Christian calendar, uh, last week technically was the, was the first week of Advent, the Advent season. Advent is the time of year when Christians all across the globe set aside four weeks to collectively focus our thoughts on the birth and the return of Jesus Christ. Isn't it great that we're participating in something that's bigger than ourselves. I love that about the Christian calendar. Um, We focus our thoughts on the birth and the return of Jesus Christ. During Advent, we intentionally build anticipation as Christmas Day. That's the day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Gets closer and closer, and we get more anticipation. We do that on purpose. Part of the purpose of Advent is to help us ready ourselves collectively and spiritually to receive and experience the good news of Jesus Christ, both in our hearts and in our homes. And to that end, if you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's word in Genesis chapter 3. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the certain, Serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason. Let's pray, family. Hmm. Almighty God, you know all things. You see all things. You understand all things. There is no God like you, living God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken and you are still speaking to those that will listen to you, speaking word of life. 
God, we pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your word the very things that we need to hear, understand, and put into play in our life. Please, oh God, we pray that you would change our lives by speaking to our hearts through our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The television station VH1 uh, produced a popu- wildly popular show called Behind the Music from the, that started in the late 90s all the way up to 2014. The episodes, were, it was a unique show because at the time there wasn't anything exactly like this going on. They're like micro-documentaries on musicians or sometimes entire bands uh, that people uh, enjoy. They told the story behind the music that they made. The premise was basically, look, you may know the story behind a song that you like, but behind the music is going to tell you the story behind the story. There was a really interesting premise. Today, in a sense, we need to go behind the music of the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas has a story that comes before it. So often we start celebrating Christmas at the manger, which makes a lot of sense. But Jesus did not come to earth by being born of a woman just because he thought it'd be a really cool experience as God, and he wanted to try it out. I wonder what that's like. No, it's not just a random story to make us feel warm and cozy during a cold and dark Christmas season. There's so much more. The reason, there is a reason that Jesus was born. And we cannot fully grasp the significance and the importance and dare I say the necessity of Christ's birth for us until we see his coming at Bethlehem fits into a bigger story of the rescue of all creation. It's a cosmically huge story, brothers and sisters. Christmas will not have its effect on us if we do not feel our need for the Christ of Christmas. We will not prepare him room in our heart or in our home. We will not sing for joy with the angels until we personally see him as Savior. And so we need to go behind the story of the manger to the beginning of the story where a war took place in the Garden of Eden. It's what we just read. You see, guys, Christmas exists because there was a real rebellion against God. Christmas exists because there was a real rebellion against God. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. When Adam and Eve, our first parents, disobeyed God, they were not merely breaking a rule. I mean, they were breaking a rule, but they weren't merely breaking a rule. They were breaking off a relationship with their creator. So let's be clear. What they did was not a mistake. And what they did was certainly not an accident that they stumbled into. This was an intentional assault against the God that had created them and cared for them and nurtured them, loved them, protected them, sustained them every day of their life. It was so high-handed of a move that it causes God to almost gasp out loud, what is this that you've done? 
Do you even know what you did? Instead of accepting the blame and asking for forgiveness of God, Eve claims it wasn't the serpent's fault. It was the serpent's fault instead of hers. And to be fair to Eve, she's not entirely wrong, right? She's not entirely wrong. She and Adam were working together with the serpent. That's what she says here in verse 13. The serpent, who in the New Testament identifies as Satan or the devil, initiated this rebellion against God by lying to our first parents, and they believed him. Look at verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Quit being so serious. You will not... Surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll get enlightenment. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the lie of Satan is that God is not really good. And therefore, you and I cannot really trust what he says. We can't really trust his warnings are true. We can't really trust his promises are true. Why? Because God's not good. He's actually holding out on you. He's holding out all the good stuff. He doesn't want you to be like God. You know what's funny? They were already like God. Made in his image and likeness. See, here's the lie. Oh, the reason the Father sets rules and boundaries in our relationship with him is not because he's protecting us from harm. It's not because he's looking out for you and I. It's because he enjoys restricting our joy and happiness and freedom. He gets a kick out of it. He's a divine moral Ebenezer Scrooge. So rebel, rebel against him and find your own bliss and find your own happiness without him, apart from him. Set yourself free from God. That is the poisonous, venomous lie that bit Eve and Adam, and this lie has infected each of our hearts as well. Every time you and I disobey God, at the very root of that is this lie. I cannot trust God because he's not good, and he doesn't love me. Through the snake's influence, through this plausible sounding lie, humanity chose to trust the enemy of God. Let your mind wrap around that for a second. Not just trust anyone, the enemy of God. We have believed the snake's word over our creator's word. And that is how Satan makes war with God. He recruits his creation into his cause. It's a double blow because not only does the betrayal pain the heart of God, but it also destroys his prized creation in the process. It's a win-win for the enemy of God. Dr. Russell Moore said it this way once, quote, the devil's message is you cannot trust God. He's not merely trying to tempt you. He's trying to adopt you. He's, Jesus says he's the father of lies, right? 
Oh, he's a father, a counterfeit father. He's, he's out adopting too. How do you and I come under the rule and the authority and the influence of the enemy by believing his lie that we cannot trust God and then taking that step of disobedience, that step of rebellion? I'm gonna find my own joy without you, God. Thank you very much. He recruits us into his resistance against God by claiming to give us more freedom and sweeter promises. Do you see why our disobedience is so offensive to God? Do you see why, how heinous it is and treasonous it is, guys? It's because when we disobey God, we are colluding with the enemy, his enemy. We have willingly partnered in his resistance against the Lord. We, his beloved creation, have turned conspirators against him. This is no small thing. This is a big deal. This rebellion was not an isolated event. It had far-reaching and long-lasting effects on us and all of creation. This rebellion devastated four essential relationships. Four essential relationships. You see, to, to fully appreciate and enjoy the glory that is Christmas we must understand just how comprehensive the effect of our rebellion against God was. When we were recruited into the cause of the enemy, it ruptured four essential relationships. And each of these broken relationships are played out in this one chapter of Genesis 3. They're all put right there. And we see it through the rest of the Bible. I want to go through these so you can see just how comprehensive this is. The first is this, a broken relationship between us and God. Relationship between us and God, verses eight and nine. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? It's not that God didn't know, but there was this separation that's taking place. This is the first relationship that was devastated and all the other relationships flow from that. We were created to serve and to bring glory to God. Instead, now, we live to serve and bring glory to ourselves or to some other false God. That's our default mode now. That's what seems normal and easy and natural for us now. Whereas before we enjoyed a relationship and companionship and fellowship with God, now we, we hide from him. In fact, now we want to hide from him. Instead of running to God with our problems, we somehow instinctively run away from God with our problem. Our disobedience puts a wall between us and the source of life. And the result is slavery to false gods and ultimately death. Because that's what happens when you're cut off from life. You wither and die. Second broken relationship is relationship with self, us and self. Genesis 3, verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I hid myself. Before the rebellion, we had a right understanding of ourselves 
as part of God's good creation made in his image and likeness and endowed with dignity. We were not superhuman. We were not subhuman. We were this beautiful, wonderful thing called human. And it was good. But now that view of ourself is skewed. We can't see ourselves and perceive ourselves correctly. It's like looking at those funny mirrors in the house of mirrors now when we look in the mirror and we evaluate ourselves. Now we live with shame. This is when shame entered the world. Shame, not just for the sins we committed, but for who we are. See, guilt is the fact that we have done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that we are wrong. And we all deal with this at some level and to some degree. Just as Adam used leaves, part of God's creation, to camouflage his shame and to ex- his exposure, we too use God's creation to camouflage our shame and our exposure. We're posing, we're posturing, we're curating our Facebook feed and hide all the embarrassing stuff and put all the good stuff out front. We're doing just like our first father and mother did. We look to physical attractiveness. We look to our career. We look to money, education, intelligence, family to camouflage our sense of inadequacy, weakness, depravity even, which can lead to reclusive despair when we fail to camouflage. I'm just going to separate. Or it leads to arrogant narcissism when we succeed. Look how great my career is. And don't worry about this stuff over here I'm embarrassed about. Apart from an intimate relationship with our creator, we cannot accurately know who we are and we're destined for a life of unceasing wandering and restlessness, which is a form of death. Relationship with God's broken. Relationship with self is broken. Third, broken relationship is with others. With others. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Because they did not trust God and found themselves separated from him, Adam and Eve no longer trusted each other. This is the ripple effect of that first relationship breaking. We're already seeing it. We don't have to go very far in the Bible. They no longer trust each other in the role that has been assigned to them as husband and wife. You see, the fact is, in the beginning, God created us to live in community with one another, to know one another and be known by one another, depending on, sharing with, even enhancing the life of others as we play our assigned role in society. Husband, sister, employee, governor, neighbor, teacher, president. We were to know one another and enhance the life of each other. But now, since the rebellion, we isolate ourselves from one another out of fear. We're afraid of one another. What do they think about me? What are they going to take from me? What are they going to do to me? There's this dread that comes over us. We now see others as objects to be dominated and exploited for our own glory and our own kingdom building. And by the way, this happens on a group level, not just an individual level. Because you know what happens when you get sinful individuals together? They create systems and laws and tribes. And this is racism. 
This is sexism. This is ageism. So group level as well as individual level. It's played out all over the world. The pain of childbearing that's referred to here, it not only refers to the physical pain of that delivery event, but also the ongoing psychological pain of bearing children. To be a parent and raise a child is to sign up to have your heart broken. Amen? It is. They rebel against us. They do things that embarrass us. By the way, sometimes parents shirk their role and they break the heart of their children and say, I don't want you anymore. This is that broken relationship with others. It's very real. Our natural inclination now is to decreate one another because that's what we're doing when we do that. It's colluding with the enemy, right? It's decreating what God has created and that's what we do now which only further isolates ourselves from other people, whether, they are, whether we are the one do- doing the dominating or we're the one that's being subjugated. Fourth relationship is the broken relationship now with creation. Let's get to verses 17 and 18 here, family. This is interesting. And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of the life. So, so here's God's grace. He's going to get to eat of the fruit of the ground. He's going to get to eat and live. But in pain, by the sweat of his brow, Right? All the days of your life, thorns and thistles, it, what is the it? Creation, the ground, will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plant of the field. Our recruitment into Satan's rebellion against God has had massive cosmic impact on the rest of the created order, brothers and sisters. The ground once cooperated with our efforts, with our work to bring about food and resources from it, and now the ground actually works against our best efforts. It frustrates our work. Now, you ever been frustrated at work? Instead of the fruit of our labor, creation brings forth these worthless thorns and thistles. Tornadoes, hurricanes, famine, wildfires, bird flu, bacteria in water sources, food contaminations at plants that ship out peanut butter and spinach. Just one of these is enough to wipe out years of labor that people do and devastate thousands of lives for a very long time because it has has a domino effect, does it not? It trickles down to other people. So we'll, we will devote hours of our work and years of our lives to, 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 to work. And much of the time, our efforts will be frustrated. There's always one more email you can send out. There's always one more person you can talk to. There's always something else you could have done, and the work is never done. We'll, we'll work the ground to produce apples in an apple orchard, but then a drought hits out of nowhere, and the crops fail that year. And then everyone that is downstream from that apple orchard farmer is affected as well, plus his family. We're just, maybe we're just days away from finishing a construction job on a street or refurbishing a house, and half the team decides, we're not showing up. 
And that affects your paycheck because you don't get paid till the job is done. Thorns and thistles sprout up out of nowhere instead of fruit. Sometimes we skillfully invest thousands of dollars into retirement only to have a recession erase it in one day before the closing bell. Thorns and thistles sprout up instead of fruit. We work hard to finish writing that book by our deadline or compose that song by our deadline, but then we hit a creative wall or our tools, our technology doesn't work. It gets erased off the cloud, off the hard drive. Thorns and thistles sprout up instead of fruit. We spend months or years teaching folks the gospel, praying over them, visiting them in their home, and we see very little change in their life. Sometimes they even take three steps directly backwards. It's sad, and thorns and thistles sprout up instead of fruit. This is the world we live in, amen? This is reality. Our broken relationship with the creation and created order leads to workaholism in some of us. I'm gonna beat that. Or laziness in others. Why bother? It just falls down. It just, I saw how it destroyed my dad's life and I'm not gonna be like that. And each of those is an attempt to be our own savior as we struggle against creation and both ways lead us deeper into death because that's what we're fighting against. At any given moment, we are all feeling poverty in one of these four essential relationships and sometimes more than one. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you can identify with one of those broken relationships right now. You're like, yeah, that's me. I'm feeling that and I'm bucking up against that right now. We've been duped into rebelling against our creator for a better life, but what we got was not what was promised. It's not like the brochure said it was. The rebellion only devastated the most important relationships in our life. And so here's the deal, guys. We can try to ignore our situation. We can try to distract ourselves from the situation for a little while. But in the end, there is nothing we can do to alter the situation. In the words of the rock band Switchfoot, there ain't no drug they can sell. There ain't no drug can make me well. I've made a mess of me. I've made a mess of me. Oh, I want to reverse this tragedy. Hey, guys, look at me. This is why you need Christmas. This is why you and I need Christmas. Because we need someone to save us from the mess we've made, the lies we believe, and the one we partner with. This is the wonderful message of Christmas that it whispers in our ear if we were to listen. The message of Christmas is this. Our hope lies in the one that will crush the snake. Our hope lies in the one that will crush the snake. There is something interesting in this story behind the Advent story. We find both God's judgment and God's grace side by side. Did you guys see it? Because God is holy, he must judge sin. He cannot let sin go on. He must judge it in his people. 
Sin only brings curses. Sin only brings tears and sadness and death. But because God also loves and is love, his creation, he loves his creation, he's unwilling to see us language under his judgment forever. So right in the middle of declaring judgment to the serpent, God speaks a powerful word of hope to the woman and to us. He's saying to the serpent this, and he's like, and Eve, listen to this. I want you to hear what I'm saying. It's a masterstroke move. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you, it's a serpent, and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Though we let darkness and we let death into God's good creation because we we colluded with the enemy of God, mind you, God promises to rescue us. Us! Isn't that amazing? That's phenomenal. What love, what mercy, what grace. Though we have to live in the consequences of these four broken relationships, God promises that it will not be this way always. It will not be this way forever. A change is coming. A change is coming. Genesis 3.15 is what many scholars call the proto-evangelium. You, just, you can throw that into a conversation now at lunch if you want. Proto-evangelium. It means first gospel. Proto-first, evangelium, good news. This is the first gospel. God promises that he will send someone from the line of Eve who will crush the head of the snake. He will be the snake crusher, the dragon slayer. And here's how he's going to do it. He himself is going to get bit. He himself is going to get struck and bruised. And that's how he's going to crush the enemy. This tiny verse is the first glimmer of hope in the darkness of our rebellion, the darkness of our world. And guys, that's the Savior that you need at Christmas. The Savior that you and I need is not getting the perfect gift for Christmas. Sisters, it's not getting diamonds. I don't care what Kay says. <laughs> right? Guys, it's not getting that perfect extra large grill. I don't care what the big green egg says. All right? That's not the Savior that you need. It's not more eggnog. It's not having another drink. It's not having all the kids and the grandkids home in the same house to make memories. It's not time off work. Those are fine gifts and lousy saviors. The savior that you and I and the whole world needs is the one that was born in a feeding trough. That's the savior that we need. We need the snake crusher who will set us free from the enemy. He will not only mend our relationship with God, praise his name, but he will have the authority and he will have the power to mend all of creation far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, right? This is the hope of Advent. Jesus has come to die so that the devil and his works will be forever destroyed and that you and I might be rescued. Those who do not deserve to be rescued will be rescued. This is the love of God 
Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end. When Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And this is a living hope. This is not pie-in-the-sky hope. This is a real living hope. You can take it to work with you. Because Advent tells us that this victory has already begun in history. This is not a religious belief. This is a historical belief. It is a historical hope. When Jesus was born, it was an announcement that his kingdom had begun to begin and Satan's kingdom had begun to end. And he was putting him on notice. All who put their hope in Jesus have a share in the victory of the snake crusher. And we long for the day when it will be fully manifested across the world. The birth of Jesus sits inside a much bigger story, and I want to encourage you to find a way to remember that story as Christmas Day gets, or gets closer and closer. How are you planning on reminding yourself of that story as Christmas gets closer? I also want to invite, I want to encourage you to share this story of hope with someone that you know this year. Maybe they haven't heard it in a long time. Sometimes it's the hearing, not just the knowing of something that impacts us. We need to hear this story. So gather your family together one night. Maybe you gather up a friend or two and tell them the story of the great rebellion against God and the wonderful snake crusher he sent to rescue us. Tell them that story. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. I love you guys. God loves you too. Let's pray. A high, mighty, and exalted Christ, blessed be your name in all the earth. We thank you for coming. We thank you for being bruised in your heel. We thank you for dying. You were born to die so that we might be born again and live by your spirit. I pray, God, that we would put our hope in you, our faith in you, for it's only those that put their faith in you who are saved and get to share in your victory. So, Lord, help us trust you. Help us trust you and help us share this good news with someone that we know. You've been so good to us, too good to us. We love you. Please come again quickly. We long for you. Amen.